Hello everyone and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is May 26, 2016. President Barack Obama arrived in Japan last night. He met with the Prime Minister. The G7 summit in Issei begins today. And a lot of the focus of the discussion is on economic policy, on military alliance, on a lot of things, the global economy. And one issue has loomed over all others. Both heads of state spent time talking about it in their press conference last night. It is a huge issue. Michael, a crime that was committed after our filming of the last Tokyo on Fire has exploded, and it has captured almost all of the airtime on this issue. Well, we thought when we last spoke that we were going to be talking about President Obama's visit to Hiroshima. Right. And how that was going to overshadow the discussions that are going to take place today and for the next two days over world economy and all kinds of other major issues facing the G7. Right. We thought that that would become a sideshow to Mr. Obama's going, the first sitting U.S. president to make a visit to Hiroshima. Huge issue. And, and we thought that was right. And then over the weekend, something truly horrific happened. Uh, a woman who had been missing since April, her body was found, and it was found because police had picked up an individual who had who gave them information that led to the body, discovery of the body. The individual is a U.S. civilian employee, a former U.S. Marine, who works on a base in Okinawa. Mm -hmm. This has simply detonated anything that anyone wanted to plan in terms of PR, in terms of image management, in terms of celebration of the alliance between the United States and Japan. It is completely overwhelmed the ability of the PR managers to do something positive with this summit, and instead the, the summit's in shadow. Right. Three quarters of all U.S. forces that are based in Japan are located in the island of Okinawa, on which the is, island of Okinawa. Which is less than 1% of the area of right. Japan. It carries far too much of a burden, mm -hmm. in, and it has had to deal with, periodically, crimes by either active service members or civilian employees right. working on the bases. But in this case, we have an actual killing. And it's a killing of a young woman by a U.S. individual, certainly not a service member, but a former service member and one who works on the base. So the ability of Mr. Abe and Mr. Obama and President Obama to get together and say, we have this long-term mutually reinforcing, mutually supportive relationship is really tough. No, it's just horrible. I mean, maybe the Henneco base relocation would have been an issue in, in some of the conversations. I mean, they met last night very briefly and immediately went into their press conference. A copy of the press conference went out. Um, the prime minister talked immediately about the Shimabukuro case. It pretty much dominated his comments, and then the president responded in kind. He didn't spend that much time on it, but... A boy, paragraph the, is all he did. There is so much going on. There's so much to talk about, and this one issue, I mean, you, you can imagine... When this issue broke, the prime minister and all of his cabinet, I mean, the frustration they must feel, everything that has been put into place to make this summit a, a sterling example of Japan leadership is just clouded over by this one issue. Well, this is, was always a, an issue that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. if, if you remember, the movement of the Futenma base to Henoko was triggered 
by a crime done by U.S. servicemen. In, in, in 1995, a trio of U.S. servicemen picked up an, an elementary school child. 12-year-old girl. A 12-year-old girl took her, her away in a car. All three of them raped her. She survived, but this crime became the catalyst for a prefecture-wide movement to get the U.S. bases out. Mm -hmm. And it was a trigger for a reaffirmation of the U.S.-Japan alliance, but with the caveat that the Futenma base, the U.S. Marines base, would be moved from a very populated area, a really dangerous area, to somewhere else. And the hopes of the Okinawan people have always been that somewhere else is not Okinawa. Mm -hmm. And that is was frustrated by the eventual plan that was worked out to move it to the northern part of the island, a place called Hanoko. Now, in making that plan and promoting it over these two decades since, there was always the caveat, this plan will go through unless we have something that is the equivalent of the 1995 rape case that throws everything up in the air. Well, guess what? Right. Right. We're there. Mm -hmm. And everything that this administration did to move forward on the Henoko base is gone forward far further than any administration before. It is currently in a hiatus situation based on a court case. And the court is asking the two sides, the prefecture and the national government to come to some court sort of agreement about further construction at Henoko. But we, we all know that there's no agreement, there's no compromise that can be worked out. The only thing that can happen is the national government forcibly imposes its will and builds the, the new base there. That capacity to act in a forcible manner mm -hmm. is gone. Yes. You know, your heart just has to go out to the Okinawan people. They are a part of Japan. They're administered by Japan. They are their own prefecture. But they, they feel as a, as a different nation, they had a different, di uh, not even a dialect, they had a different language, in fact. They were dominated and overlorded by the Japanese first. They, at the end of the war, then the Americans came in. The Americans made a reversion back to Japanese control in, un, under Richard Nixon. But they kept a, a large presence of, Jap of U.S. forces there. And these crimes, they occur with regularity. I well, mean, any large, okay, if you have a large con contingent it's of young happen, males, right? uh, it's something that is going to happen. Right. Uh, that's why you don't want to have bases overseas mm -hmm. because you're asking for trouble. And... Of course, if you if you compare it to the general population, the number of crimes committed by service members or even civilian employees, if you add that in, as compared to the general population of, of Okinawa, right? They're they're a much better citizenry <laughs> in terms of their behavior than the actual citizens. Mm -hmm. But that is not they're not a part of the, the compact. They're not a part of this of the Okinawan people. You can't look as they they are aliens. And they're here, right? And they're here because the national government wants them here. The, the 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 grand betrayal of the Okinawans. They wanted to rejoin Japan, and in 1972 they were able to make the reversion. Their thought was, finally, we're not going to be carrying the burden of the U.S. strategic plans for East Asia because the Japanese U.S. Security Treaty says that Japan will take part in bearing the burden of bases. Mm -hmm. Instead, the exact opposite happened. The, the Japanese government closed down bases 
on the main islands, and everything has been concentrated in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. Well, everything. Seventy-four percent of the the, uh, the the basing. Of course, they're extremely resentful, and it's been a very very delicate game that for twenty years has been played out, trying to move Futenma, just right. one base, just one, to a different location, and. The Abe administration pushed hard to make that happen mm-hmm. during its time in office. This this inequality, this unfairness, and then on top of it, we have crimi- a heinous crime. Really horrible. Now, I mean, now to to what extent the the crime is as it's reflected currently in the news is a question. We know that Japanese um, jurisprudence and and police behavior tends to box in. Defendants or persons who are suspected, and get them gets them to confess mm-hmm. things that they may or may not have done. Usually, it's a it's a mix of both. But the the procedures that are used are, are rather coercive, right. so that there's a press a pressure to make people confess. And more than ninety percent of cases that are filed are won by prosecution. That's right. So that they they they, they file only when they have a, a confession and they get a confession before right. they file. It's it's a it's a wonderful almost one to one 98% mm-hmm. correspondence. But here that what what we're he- seeing is that someone's leaking or a lot of people are leaking supposed details from the interrogations out into the press so that it's Absolutely stirring the pot. Oh, it's, a, it's flaming that. It's, 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 yeah, it's fanning the flames. Right. That, that that this is an absolutely unimaginable crime, and you just sit there and you say, "Sure, what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened that night?" Yeah, I mean, he was a former uh, U.S. Marine. It paints the Marines in a bad light. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's an Afro-American. It paints that in the. He's an American. It just does so much damage to everything that has been built up over the. The last several decades, and the ostensibly, we should not be knowing any of the details of right. the crime because supposedly there's there's supposed to be some kind of procedure. But well, there's a purpose here. There's a purpose. Right. What is the purpose of the people who are, are leaking this mm-hmm. information? To, and it's certainly everything. Every revelation that comes out further erodes the capacity of either the U.S. government or the Japanese government to have some kind of response. No, I'm not. They're not, they're not even hoping for control. Just some kind of response to what is happening, right. and it's killing the summit. Let's talk about something that's related to that that I think maybe our viewers would appreciate a little bit of an understanding on, and that's the status of forces agreement between Japan and the United States on handling these kinds of things. The president also spent a little bit of time talking about the status of forces. One of the questions was directed about that. And What's your your thought on the status of forces agreement as it applies to this particular case? Okay, it's, it's a little bit of one off, isn't it? It's way off. The status of forces agreement, or SOFA, they usually use that acronym. The SOFA is it's for active service members, and, and it's a part of the protections that the United States Department of Defense puts in place for its soldiers, so that they can operate in. Every country that they do so, every country where there are U.S. forces based, there is a SOFA agreement. Right. And Japan's SOFA agreement is actually one of the most uh, respectful of of the country that is the the opposite of the United States. It, there are far more uh, provisions in it for the turning over of suspects, for the ability of the Japanese police for investigating purposes, for, for them to interrogate the subjects, right. much more than other sofas. 
there it, and that there's no ability for other countries to say, well, Japan, Japan got that. We want it too. Every sofa is individually negotiated. Mm -hmm. So we have seen a lot of opportunistic demands, which are ir irrelevant and irrational, that the sofa again be opened up for discussion and there be greater capacity for Japanese prosecutors to take U.S. servicemen. This person is a retired serviceman. In fact, he has a Japanese name. He took his, his wife's name. He's married and has a small child. Uh, it's, the, this, the tragedy is just compounded everywhere, in every direction. But his, his surname is a Japanese surname. So we're dealing with items that don't really have very much and have almost nothing to do with the SOFA. Don't you think he wishes SOFA applied? Well, SOFA allows for certain... When the SOFAs had to be renegotiated in terms of U.S. basing personnel in Okinawa, basically because they always somehow would disappear once they were right. handed over to the MPs of the bases, somehow they, the defendant would suddenly turn up in the United States. And for decades, Japanese and Okinawans were working to reinforce the capacity of Japanese prosecutors to get their hands on U.S. suspects, whether it was for heinous crimes of the ones that we're discussing right now, or simple things like shoplifting or, or vandalism. Automobile accidents. Automobile that, accidents. Whatever. The automobile accidents one was huge in Okinawa because we have this issue now, of course, that the, the, you have to switch sides of the, of the road uh, for, for Americans. It's on the, you drive on the wrong side. So right. traffic accidents are, are a major issue. And the SOFA really had to cover those. Right. Uh, that is, that's, those things have happened. And they're, the SOFA, again, is one of the best that an, a U.S. ally or, or a U.S. friend has extracted from mm -hmm. the DOD. Nevertheless, uh, we're, he was, the president was asked about the SOFA, and so was the prime minister. Okay, well, they are in Issei today. They're having discussions with the G7 leaders. Uh, Paul perhaps has settled over at least uh, the prime minister and President uh, Obama, but there are other things that they're going to be talking about. They are talking about international terrorism. They're talking about international finance. Global economy. They're talking about stimulating the economy. The G7 finance ministers had their meeting. That was in Sendai um, maybe over the weekend, wasn't and That's it? right. And they were not able to come to a consensus in their statement about what the fiscal stimulus should be. So they've been spending their time discussing what are essentially peripheral issues, such as tax evasion or, mm -hmm. well, well we, they should really be talking about tax avoidance. Tax evasion is a, is a crime. That's easy. It's the avoidance. It's the legal stuff. Right. The stu establishing corporations in Panama, like the mm -hmm. Panama Papers have exposed. These things that are entirely legal, but that are never, nevertheless extremely unethical. Right. Uh, and, and debilitating for the ability of governments, particularly of poor countries, to control, be able to control their tax revenue and their, their ability to govern. Those are, they're interesting issues, and it's not really clear what you can do, one. And secondly, it's not really clear why finance ministers have to discuss it. This should be a lower-level meeting. Right. But, but we're seeing a lot of secondary issues being discussed because mm -hmm. of the fact that the big issues, you know, stimulating the world economy is where there is no right. agreement. Right. You know, we talk about the possibility of a double election happening in, in July. We talk about uh, perhaps a, a, re, a 
reluctance of the prime minister to initiate uh, the increase in the consumption tax. Um, the prime minister is gearing up for maybe his selection of calling for a double election, which it looks like it might be possible. And it looks also possible like he's going to um, withhold raising the consumption tax. But this issue of Okinawa, I mean, he's trying to appeal to, a vote, to the voters too on his handling of that and how he speaks with the, the president on an issue of national importance. Well, it's true that it, it, this could be an opportunity in some person's point of view for Abe to appear to be very, very much the leader. But if, it, if the, that were the case, at least the, the, the audio and, and the, the written transcripts do not reveal it. Instead, he, he's incredibly legalistic in his responses, incredibly vague, incredibly... But it was the, the first issue out of his mouth, too. It was the first issue out of his mouth. And I don't know whether it was an issue of the translators, but the English language transcripts are appalling. There, the, 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 the sense, you got no sense that there is any sort of real feeling mm -hmm. about this. I have a great feeling of resentment was the English language. Formulistic. What a great feeling of resentment? What? Toward whom? What? what? Uh, right. That this, the PR aspect of the summit, which was, you're right, mm -hmm. it was trying to frame the, the election, of, at least of the House of Councilors, but possibly also a double election with the House of Reps in a positive way. Mm -hmm. It would be something we we come rolling out of the summit with all these great images of me and the president and me and Angela Merkel, and right. we're all at Issei, which is the house shrine of the imperial family, and it's a celebration of the ancient Japanese culture, and I'm here. Me, and me, they, me. And then it's all, and yes. No. Well, listen, uh, at, at this point, though, the prime minister has an opportunity to spend even more extended time with the president and to show his leadership and his dynamic engagement. Okay, so he will he will be in Hiroshima. The president will visit Hiroshima. It's a big boost for even the foreign minister. I mean, there are a lot of things that are going on at the same time. A lot of spillover. Yeah, but I don't think that they have any control in any way over the way that this summit is going to be portrayed internationally. They have a certain amount of control and influence, of course, sure. through the Kisha clubs right. and through various ways of m maintaining. Uh, press behavior here in Japan, and so maybe for the Japanese electorate, they're going to get a certain version of the summit. Nevertheless, the PR value of this event is deteriorating, or if it's not completely lost. And, and, and not even the weather is mm -hmm. cooperating. That's true. This morning, I was watching the NHK newscast, the morning 7 o'clock news. Were they where, crying? Well, well the, where there's, they have, they have flown out or taken to the Shinkansen, I don't know how he got there. They, they've taken the, the main anchor and he's doing the live shot and it's, there's a complete fog over the entire site. So he's supposed to have behind him the beautiful natural set of islands and inlets. And it is blue, beautiful there. It's beautiful on a sunny day. Instead, they've got white. It's like mm -hmm. he's in the middle of nowhere. And that's the feeling that everybody has about this summit, not only in terms of the visuals, wow. which, which is that it's white. That's that, pretty deep. But no, yeah. but it's true. No, I mean, that's because they, not only is it is it the weather not cooperating, but they have this unnecessary, extraordinary police presence all over Japan. Sure. I mean, my local station on my train line has a, now a police officer standing at the ticket gate mm -hmm. 24 hours a day or at least for as long as the the the, the, the gate is open 
Doing what? All it is is looking oppressive. And as you get closer and closer to the site... Well, you do live in the neighborhood. Yeah, closer to the site. Even, even here in Tokyo, vending machines and garbage cans in the train stations are shut down. Right. You cannot put anything in the lockers. Mm-hmm. As you get down toward Mie, which is a long way from here, the police presence becomes more and more prevalent. And they have 70,000 police officers providing security mm-hmm. for this summit. All the life has been drained out of of large regions because there's just this immense police presence. Sure. Prime time. I mean, prime time for, you know, uh, enemies of the state, enemies of the G7. I mean, this is is where it's happening right now. Yeah, but the the overkill has become the story Mm -hmm. internationally. If you read the reports coming out of the various foreign uh, correspondents who are, and there are about a thousand of them at the summit, Mm -hmm. most of them are commenting mostly about... The police presence being searched all the time, yes. uh, not being able to get anything out of the vending machines, and it's become the story. Right. Because mm-hmm. the and the actual discussions, the, the the photo ops, the photo ops look lousy, and the discussions are 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 really marginal. You know that's really too bad because the prime minister really only needs to play to the audience, and the audience isn't the global audience. The audience are Japanese voters for probably two or three weeks. So that his numbers go up, so that he looks good, the opposition looks bad. He calls the election, the double election, and then he sails into victory. That, you know, that dynamic is, you know, it's not sunshine there. Well, there's nothing there now. But that, it's, luckily for him, politically, um, aside from the tragedy, aside from the, what, what is turning out to be a very poor, uh, maybe a very poor summit, we we don't we'll see what comes out of the meetings. It's going to be after our recording session. Right. But if the, he doesn't really need a big boost, to be fair, they've put everything but the kitchen sink into this summit in terms of PR. But luckily, if you look at the polls, if you look at the disarray in the the DP, the the main opposition party, you say, well. Okay, so it didn't work. Mm-hmm. If I was a member of the LDP, I would not be sweating it at all. And I'd just be saying, gosh, well, after all this is over, a couple of days, we get back to the, a few weeks of the diet session, then we're out. And we can either go to a double or a single election. No problem. The Issei summit, what it pretends for the prime minister, the tax increase or not, and the double election possibility. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. Prime Minister Abe announced three new arrows in early January in a plan to dynamically engage all of Japanese citizenry. He's got three new items that he wants to focus on, and this week we received the details. Michael, you've been watching that as well? I've been watching it for a long time ever since. It was first announced and given its Japanese name, which was a highly disturbing name because it had overtones of certain slogans of the pre-war era that were used to energize and try to get people to become self-sacrificial for the society's sake. And so when we saw that in English they wouldn't use the phrasing, we said, hmm, what's about this all about? Well, we've been on tenderhooks for many months. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are the details? How are you going to achieve these three goals? And we got this last week details on what it is that they want to do. Okay, but first we probably should say what the three goals are. Okay. Okay, the three goals are that 
Japan will have by 2020 a 600 trillion yen nominal, uh, that's nominal yen economy. And that's arrow one, if you want to call it that. Then there's arrow two, which is to have the birth rate per women rise from its current rate, which is 1.46 births per woman, which is not, not entirely out of whack with the birth rates all around the East Asian region, to a much higher rate of 1.8. And that is the second arrow. And then the third arrow, trying to stop people leaving the workforce in order to take care of elderly parents, elderly spouses, that people who are currently part of the workforce stay there. Mm -hmm. And instead, that there are caregivers or something that takes care of these caregiving needs. Those are the three arrows. And everybody's saying, okay, great. Those are the goals. How do you get there? Well, last week we got the slides. We got the slideshow. And first off, I I don't know if the English language has been prepared, but the Japanese ones have, and they are atrocious to read. (laughs) They are absolutely the worst concatenation of arrows and, and boxes and bullet points all on two A4 pages, which outlines the entire concept in, in a way that it, you, you just simply say, I don't understand any of it. Right. But it's all there, right. supposedly. And once you pick your way through it, uh, the uh, analyst Tobias Harris in Washington said, if anyone's doubting, uh, this is industrial policy. You know, mm-hmm. And it is. It's the picking of winners and losers in the economy. Yes, we have these goals, of, which are, which are fairly useful social goals, of a, of a larger pie, which to share out of, this, a 600 trillion economy, a, a more stable future workforce with a, a higher birth rate per woman, and, and a, a, the ability of people to stay in the workforce once they get in. Great. But to get there, we're going to be picking winners and losers. We're going to be picking, we're going to, we think robotics is important. So we're going to do a lot of stuff with robotics. Right. We're going to raise salaries of uh, daycare workers, whether they're for children or for elderly people. We're going to do all these things. And it's, it's a tremendous list of, well, let's, let's say, pet projects. Right. It is industrial policy and the impact of these actions that the government is initiating will go 30, 40, 50 years into the future. And the thing is, it's an industrial policy and it's a picking of winners and losers that's really different. A lot of people looking in Japan look at how technology has been pushed forward in the United States. And a lot of this particular administration, the other administration, there's a lot of interest and emphasis on how the United States Defense Department has pushed technology transformation. And so they want to do industrial policy successfully, too. Right. successfully. And there have been a, there's been a relaxation of rules on universities and the Ministry of Defense working together. Mm-hmm. And they want to re to recreate something like what the United States has with the DARPA or with its, its many other uh, research programs. That there are useful cutting edge technologies and cutting edge systems that are coughed out regularly. The thing is with what they're what this these A4 pages seems to indicate is there's there's no cutoff date when people have to justify, you know, what have you done? Mm-hmm. Instead it's just tossing money 
after these programs year after year after year, and if they don't produce, there's no place in this explanation that says, okay, you've wasted enough of the taxpayer's money, you've not produced anything, yeah. you're gone. Well, it's a start. I mean, they even created a new cabinet post for dynamic engagement of the Japanese citizenry. They have a, a new minister of state who is spearheading this, so it's taken him four months to come up with this plan. But, I mean, the problems that are facing Japan are so huge and so intractable. I mean, you need something of this nature to kind of really engage, um, I mean, getting getting the, the birth rate from 1.4 to 1.8, I mean, is that even feasible in 20 years? Well, it, it, it's, it looks more feasible, but whether it's significant or not is the issue. For mm -hmm. example, the, sure, because 20 years, you've got children, you don't have workers. Yes, yeah, so that's true. The, the question of the time lag of when the extra births will lead to an increase in the number of workers, that's, that's correct. But the the creeping up of the, the birth rate per woman has been happening actually for over a decade. It reached a nadir about 10 years ago at 1.26. Mm -hmm. But now it's up to 1.46 without the government doing much of anything in order to get there. So I'm sure that there are people within the administration saying, ha, see, without us doing anything, it's already climbing. So us having this goal of 1.8, it, it's not, and we, if we have enough incentives, we're going to make it. But the, the issue is then, okay, even if you raise the rates, it might not make any difference in the total number of Japanese because the number of young women is shrinking. Right. So even though they may, may have a fractionally more children during their, their, their fertile years, mm -hmm. the fact that there are fewer and fewer of them means that the overall population is still going to go down. Right. And, and, and so it, it's a bit of a shell game, mm -hmm. the whole thing. But What's more deeply disturbing is this sense that you can actually pick winners that is built into this concept. There's no concept that competition creates very vital forces within the economy that compete for resources, and it's from out of this competition that you get some technologies that survive and others that are dropped off, that there is some kind of market force that will impose some kind of discipline. Instead, this looks just like a make-work program. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, what, isn't that the foundation of the Japanese miracle? I mean, that the uh, Ministry of International Trade and Industry picked winners. But they knew where they were going in that uh, era. They looked at the United States and all the technology it had, and we said, we want to go there. It's easy to do that. Mm. And China has shown that you don't even have to have a Article 9 of the Constitution so requiring you to, keeping you out of the business of international power politics and having big militaries, right. as was the case also with Korea and Taiwan, armed to the teeth, that you can do this. You just look at who is the technology leader and say, we want that. Right. But that's not what Japan is trying to do. Mm -hmm. It's trying to leapfrog into the next generation where no one has been. Okay. They've done that in the past. I think that that's the, the dream and the vision of the prime minister. Well, he what if you're wrong in the decision that you make about the particular technology? We have, for example, an obsession here with humanoid robots. Right. Robots that mimic human behaviors, whether it's the, the, the pepper robots and their basic strange way of, of engaging in conversations, whether it's the, the, the creepily lifelike humanoid robots that they're now using as, in some places, as receptionists in hotels and things right. like that. That's, no one else is doing that. No one else is interested in that. And 
sure, we have this Galapagos effect again, where mm -hmm. the, the Japanese engineers say, oh, this is really cool, let's do this, and someone pays for it, and they get it, and it's unsaleable for right. the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. That's what's, what I'm looking at, the in dynamic engagement of all the citizens, and that's what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. It's a make-work project. It's not a project to dynamically bring the Japanese economy and people into the 21st century. Well, it's got to be, because otherwise this place is just going to go down a hole. I mean, they're not producing enough to sustain the economy. The, the trade machinery requires that sort of thing, and they're not going to... I mean, one of the things I like about the title, about the dynamic engagement of Japanese citizenry, is that it tells you it's for the Japanese. It's not, it's not for immigration. We're going to do it. We're going to engage the, the women workforce, which has been basically underutilized. We're going to get the people who have been taking care of their parents back into the economy. We're going to do this uh, through self-help, and if it, we require robots to do that, I'm rather hopeful that they, they will achieve some breakthroughs there and sell robots throughout the world. It seems to me very unlikely. Instead, I think that it's going to be very much a protected group of companies and group of industries that are going to become a permanent fixture within the budget process, mm -hmm. and they will expect to receive special treatment. They will gather around them a whole concatenation of either current diet members or former diet members and current bureaucrats and former bureaucrats who are going to become their advocates. And it's just going to be what industrial policy always has ended mm -hmm. up in Japan. It's, go, it's becoming a uh, festival, a, 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 a buffet for right. people who have some access to the levers of power, whereas the citizenry who pay for it through their taxes have virtually no access right. to that. Well, what are you going to do, though? I mean, the prime minister has to do something. He's got to do something that not only engages voters, because we've got an election coming up, but also takes takes advantage of you know the, the costs that are going to be generated from that and distributing that throughout basically companies and industry. They'll be the first receivers. But the thing is, it, it just, it's, a, it's a complete reversal of the supposed revolution in mindset that took place during the Khoisme era, where Khoisme was talking about small government yeah. and talking about unleashing the forces, the animal spirits. Mm -hmm. Now, and, and Abe came into office with that concept of unleashing sure the animal spirits, yeah. but they were going to do it through monetary policy. Mm -hmm. We're just going to push money out the door, and if we have to take up a helicopter and throw it out in the streets, we'll do that. Whatever. But come on, that worked for six months. It, it, it worked for a while, but it, we're now almost back to yes. near stasis in terms mm -hmm. of, of inflation, and GDP growth is, is, is marginal. It's nowhere near what they had promised. It's nowhere near what they had hoped for. Now, but he, he came into office with this idea that the, the Japanese people themselves are capable of saving themselves. That's the exact opposite of what this plan is saying. What it's saying is that we, your elites, your leaders, are going to choose what are the winners and the losers. Here they are, and if you, you can either get on the winning team or you're gonna be out. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, bureaucrats and, and politicians are really not very good at creating profitable businesses. And it's profitable businesses that matter. Right. That's what interests people. That's what will get people up out of bed in the morning mm -hmm. and make them go to the office a vision. and, and right. do and make things and, and create. If it's just a make-work project, okay, we have a budget from the government. We have to use up the budget because we want to get a, the same amount next year. 
they're not going to try to do things that are creative and new. They're going to just try the to spend the thing, money. Of course. Right. Do the same thing that you did yesterday because you're taken care of. Your risks are already covered. And that's the way we're going to save the Japanese economy? No. No. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, having been here for so long, I, there's a tendency for just doing that, for doing what was done yesterday. Uh, anything that comes in that's new, a new idea, you know, you avoid that because who knows what the re repercussions on that are going to be, and I want my job. Well, also, they might be new. It could be, but if, if it's all engineering driven mm -hmm. and not does not have the discipline of of finance or business and profit, right? And and you just don't see that in this plan. You don't see these companies will be generating this kind of profit. Or you you see numbers about maybe employment. You see numbers about maybe the the amount of the economy that they're going to be servicing. But you have no sense that there is going to be a vital industrial plant coming out of this. Yeah. And that's what this country desperately it sure needs. Does. And I, I am deeply suspicious, and so are the markets, it seems, and so are a lot of market commentators, that this is solely to get through July. Right. And that there is not a shred of sincerity in all of this entire spaghetti of graph that they have produced that none of it makes any sense after August, that it's, that was, oh, I'm sorry, you know, actually you're right, it's too complicated. It 600 trillion is a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, it's, we're gonna have 1.8. You know, uh, we, we have our two majorities in the House of Counselors and the House of Reps. Thank you very much. Right, okay, it gets us to tomorrow. But the other problem they have is who's gonna pay for it? I mean, if he withholds the implementation of the 10% tax, he's got a, a big gap that he's got to cover there as well. Well, that's in terms of, of any kind of spending, but in terms of, you're right, this plan, so much of the spending in the plan is contingent upon government revenues right. for, of either one, uh, the, the first three arrows of abenomics working, and two, the consumption tax mm -hmm. being raised overall at 10%. If you are, if you are working at cross purposes before you even put anything into play, right. come on, you're not serious. Hmm. Dynamic engagement of Japanese citizenry. Will it work or is it just a ploy to get us past the July elections? Please stay tuned. We're going to be watching this too. Welcome back. You know, Japan is renowned throughout the world as being a safe place to live. If you live here any amount of time, you know that it's clean, it's safe, the food is great. And no matter wherever you travel in Japan, you are protected. I mean, there's a police force here, the police presence but you really don't run into any kind of organized crime of any nature, although there are Yakuza organizations, they're under a lot of pressure these days. Well, Michael, something incredible happened this week that kind of casts a, a real pall over organized crime not existing in Japan. Well, the, the organized crime is organized in the way that, that would require the crime to happen. Let, let's, let's recap. Okay. The convenience stores of Japan have, as part of their many functions, they're, they're much more than just stores where you buy your beer or, or buy something that you forgot to buy. You take your laundry, you, you pay do, your bills. You pay your bills, you do, your, you do banking there. Mm -hmm. They have bank ATMs there. Incredible, is the 7-Eleven system, is the convenience store system as developed anywhere in the world as it is in Japan? I have no idea whether it is, and most likely not, that, that you can bank with any of the nation's banks and- Pick up parcels. Pick up parcels, you can do anything at a company. Well, it seems that someone decided that they were the really convenient place to do a bank robbery. Yes. In this case, not just one, 
but 1,400 bank robberies. Over a two-hour span, somehow, criminals working with forged South African bank cards went to, to the teller machines inside Japan's convenience stores, 1,400 locations, and over a two-hour span, were able to withdraw the maximum amount. There's, there's a set amount on the weekends. This was a weekend crime that they withdrew the maximum amount and they moved on to the next ATM in, a ne in the next convenience store and were able to absolutely knock out a South African bank in an extraordinary organized crime spree. And they're going to be looking, of course, there's, of course, cameras all over the convenience stores, so they're going to have a look at who these criminals are. But most likely, but since this was done on a Sunday, I think was the, day, the mm -hmm. date, the criminals have long since left the country, and who knows where they are now. Well, who knows? I mean, it's probably homegrown. I mean... No, they would that be ridiculous, because they'd have the camera footage of them. Every one of these persons has to go physically into these places. And unless they're all wearing makeup and, or some kind of wig or something, they're going to be recognized. That's too many people. I mean, how are you going to fly so many people in from South Africa or Biafra or who cares where, even on a tourist visa, give them a couple of bank cards, go to the, the convenience store while you're there, hit six of them in the neighborhood while you're, you're out for a walk on Saturday. That's... Well, it can't be six. I mean, you have to think. Let's say they had a hundred criminals. Okay. Which is a, a nationwide that they've got this network of a hundred individuals. They still have to hit on average fourteen each. Right. Goodness. And again, over a two-hour span, just physically getting from one of these places to another, you know, it's going to take that amount. So of time. it's not clear that this was not done by internal local yakuza forces, and it was something from outside that was well, infiltrated? Well, first of all, how would the Yakuza forces get South African bank cards? Okay, there's a technology issue that there, you can have much more secure cards. The cards that were used are cards that use magnetic strips on the back. And you can have cards with your IC chips in it, which are much more secure. Right. And there has been a push in Japanese banks to use IC cards. But that has not been extended to the convenience stores. And someone, somewhere, Very picked, clever. picked up on this right. and found the loophole in, in the otherwise secure, much more secure system was the convenience stores and their banking capacities. This is organized crime at a very, very high level. And a very, very high level. And Inside job as well. And maybe, who maybe, there, maybe there was the information from someone within the Well, system. you've got to make the cards as well. Those, but, those but the thing is, they could have been made in South cards. Africa, brought in in a suitcase. They don't look like anything wrong. If you, if you, and then you distribute them to the individuals, and those individuals can be here on, mm -hmm. on a, on a short-term basis. They, they go, they do a very simple banking action. They go, they take the maximum out, which I believe is 500,000 yen per transaction, per bank account. You take 500,000 yen, boom, you go to the next place for another 500,000 yen. And you're, so you're picking up basically 5,000 US dollars, mm -hmm. right? Uh, every time you're going from one place to the next. And at the end of the day, you've, you've got a pretty, or in this case, in two hours, you've got a pretty good stack of money. Cash. And then you just put them on the, you get back on a plane and you're gone. Mm -hmm. and, and again, whoever did it was incredibly organized. Right. If they did it domestically, there are going to be a lot of dumb idiots in Japan who are going to be arrested. But so far, we've heard nothing. Okay, what's the total take? Total take, 1.4 billion yen.
in 13, regular... $13 million. That's a tremendous haul for two hours worth of That's, work. It's not bad. And it doesn't. And even if you're sharing it with 100 people, it's not a bad sum to share. Who's the loser? Who's the loser? The loser is the bank in, in South Africa that got hit. It was hit on the Sunday, so they didn't get any idea of what was anything was wrong until they opened up their accounts and whew, it was gone. How was a South African bank implicated for a cash transaction at a convenience store in Japan? Because they have international con contacts through the SWIFT system, probably of some kind, that they are able to that these cards, which are forgeable, can be used to make withdrawals from the bank on the other side of the world. Okay, and of course. The Olympics plays into that. We're going to have all kinds of transactions internationally. Mm -hmm. And unless the entire financial system of Japan is fortified, we're going to be asking for a very, very large number of similar crimes in the future. A real shakeup of Japan's convenience store system and maybe a little bit of a hindrance when you come to Japan with your credit card. Please stay tuned. We'll report on this next week.